The views and opinions expressed by the guests of the Inspira podcast do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of any agency of the United States government or any organization, public or private. One, two, three, four. Welcome to the Inspira podcast, hosted by your girl, me, Erica Mueller Chen. I'm an international development specialist with over a decade of experience leveraging the amazing power of sport to promote peace and positive social impact. My career has allowed me to live in Europe, Southern Africa, and Latin America. In 2022, I accepted an offer for my dream job in sports diplomacy. And I also became an employee family member to a US diplomat aka an EFM. This podcast is all about inspiration and career advice. Each episode, I'll interview an inspirational global changemaker working in sport for development, social impact, or the diplomatic service. This series is perfect if you have interest in breaking into one of these sectors or you've already landed that dream role and are keen to learn from thought leaders. Enjoy today's episode and stay inspired. The sport development sector is way behind the rest of the international development sector. In terms of fundraising practices more generally, lots of organizations where we talk about social enterprise and and selling products and services for, for most organizations in the sector, they haven't considered that or they've tried it in kind of in small ways and it didn't work, so they, so they gave up. Welcome, friends. Today we are here with Raul Bissonot. He is an experienced commercial director who has led strategy and fundraising projects for hundreds of diverse led organizations and nonprofits across the UK and around the world. He brings a wealth of experience and background, including working the last decade as a board member and director of business development at Oaks Consultancy, which is a leading strategy and fundraising agency in sport for development. And he recently has moved over to Unis Sports Hub as the chief commercial officer. Raul, welcome. How are you doing today? Hi, Erica. Yeah, great. Thank you. Thank you for having me on here. My pleasure. Because this podcast is called Inspira, try to weave in career advice and some inspiration. I try to recognize why the guest inspires me. So for you, Raul, I really, really appreciate and admire your background and commitment to the strategy and fundraising side of the sector, where you spent over a decade supporting and advising sport for social impact organizations. In my opinion, and from my experience, strategy and fundraising in the sector are some of the more challenging and mysterious parts of this work, where models or best practices are pretty hard to find, or they're kept close to one's chest because there's just limited funds to be found. Yet the strategy and fundraising pieces are, are really crucial to ensure that there's longevity to programming and social impact in sport. So I uh, just want to give a quick shout out to your skill set as we enter this conversation. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I completely agree in terms of um, the the fact that it's quite quite a mysterious area of, of, of the sector, I suppose. Um, and then it's not talked about enough, for sure. Um, but, but, but thank you. 
<laughs> You're welcome. And I know that's something that you did a lot with Oaks the last 10 years of having webinars, having fundraising support. So so we can get into that in a couple of minutes. But maybe for starters, Raul, aside from the bio that I shared, is there anything else you can share with us in terms of who you are and maybe some of your brief background on your journey in sports? Sure. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm based in the UK, uh, based in Birmingham in, in the UK, but I've kind of work, worked with organizations all, all over, um, all, all over the world. As you said, spent the majority of the last 10 and a half, nearly 11 years at, at Oaks Consultancy, uh, started as a, as a, actually as an unpaid intern during my, during my second year, during my second year of university, um, didn't know what sport development was, uh, um, or sport or sport for social impact was i knew that i i wanted to work in in sport um and then kind of fell into this kind of inter internship role and then left uh, ten and a half years later um <laughs> having you know worked with hundreds and hundreds of, of sport development organizations a, around the world spent around 18 months with, with magic bus during my during my time at oaks as an interim kind of uk director just joined in a sports hub um which is still obviously within the sport for development sector a slightly more of a, a global view um, yeah, really enjoying enjoying that so far and then out, outside of my my, my day jobs uh, I have a real kind of interest in grant making within within sport so um, I'm also on the, on the panel at the Football Foundation um, who are the largest kind of grant maker in in sport um, particularly focused on on facilities so they, they fund football pitches across the UK um, and I've in the last kind of six months joined the the board of the People's Postcode Lottery uh, here in the UK, and obviously they have lots of foundations around the world. Um, but yeah, around helping to to award grants to to small community organisations here here in England, uh, Scotland, and Wales. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of a grant geek, shall we say? Um, which is a bit sad, but uh, but, but yeah, like that, <laughs> that's been my real kind of focus over the over the last. 11 years has been actually in that kind of understanding how to access grants, securing grants, grant making, um, all of the kind of things that you need as an organization in order to be successful with, with, with grant fundraising. Um, and that's kind of how, you know, the, the work on strategic planning and wider organizational development all kind of fell part of that why grant making for you like to be honest that's kind of an interesting niche in the sector and it's probably it is, yeah. one of the most important and marketable skills so did you think of it like oh i'm gonna be able to have a, a job for the next 20 years if i need to or was it like man like this is interesting stuff yeah you know what i don't think i'd ever heard of grant making before before i before i joined oaks to be honest um i kind of i kind of fell into it i uh i i after writing my first few couple of um, grant applications or, or proposals, I realised that I, I really enjoyed it. I was one of those one of those few people who who, who loves um, <laughs> you know, write, writing proposals, um, you know, gathering data on 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 the needs and and you know all the particular issues that an organisation is trying to address. Um, and and persuasive writing is just something that I've over the last you know ten eleven years really grown to love. Um, I think it's also a you know the fact that actually that's where the money is in 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 this sector particularly within within sport development all of these resources are held within these you know really significant institutions there aren't enough of them focused on on, on sport for development but actually um there are a lot out there in the, in the wider international development sector who with the right kind of convincing the real opportunity for for, for the sport for development sector um 
it's 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 kind of where I felt most most naturally um, over the, over the, over that time, um, but not necessarily something that I thought. Oh, when, when I'm going in, when I'm studying at university, oh, I want to spend the next 20, 30 years um, securing grants, no, or, or helping others secure grants. Um, yeah, I just kind of fell into it, really. Mm, what did you study at uni? So I did sport management. Um, okay. So I knew that I wanted to work in in sport, not necessarily in, and, and not on the performance or, or, or coaching side, more on the administration side. Um, and yeah, kind of fell into the fundraising, business development, strategic planning side of things. Zooming in on your time at Oaks Consultancy, uh, which as you and I know is a leading strategy and fundraising agency in sport for development. Is there anything you can share with us about your time there and perhaps any lessons that you learned Sure. I mean, I mean, I was there ten and a half years, so kind of trying to sum that up is 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 a, is a, is a difficult one. I, I, th I think. I mean, the short short one is. I, I mean, I loved every every moment of it. Uh, I mean, like like with all jobs and all, all, all businesses, there are probably aspects that that you don't like, but but overwhelmingly, um, those, those ten and a half years were absolutely fantastic in terms of actually a grounding within the 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 world of, of sport and sport development and, and not just sport we worked in we worked in other sectors as well in the wider charity sector and in education but that kind of um right at the start and um, because it was a small it was a small company i think when i joined um it was maybe only somewhere between four and five people um when, when i left it was around more around the 20 20, 20 22 mark and and i mean so still, still a small organization in the, in the grand scheme of things but what that meant was uh, right from the very start, just getting exposed to so many different areas of of, of the business and the industry. So like we, I mentioned, obviously, I did, did a lot of bid writing and proposal writing, but actually, you know, facilitate you, you end up facilitating sessions with, with organizations. You end up thinking about how does how does the agency, the consultancy itself market itself and, and win new clients. You end up, um, you know, working in, in in teams or individually like because it's such a small organization no one is kind of um, limited to the specific roles so you end up you're getting a kind of a really wide-ranging experience um a bit more flexibility a bit more freedom to to grow um and i, I think i saw at the time lots of my uh, peers from university had gone into these big big organizations and they, they, all they ever wanted to do was go into this you know, big big or big sporting organization um but they didn't met, didn't necessarily get the the rounded experience that people who go into smaller organizations do um so from from that perspective it was probably the best place for me um to, to be honest um it it very quickly enabled me to, to to progress through through the organization and into different roles and different experiences all, all centered on helping uh sport for development organizations with their strategic planning and, and their fundraising and their growth um but very quickly enabled me to get exposure right across all, all, all of those areas um i really valued that time um i wouldn't have been able to, to secure the role of I've just taken on or any of the those kind of board or volunteer roles that I mentioned without with, without that and, and and I would say that just in case they listen to this I would say the best thing about that organization was the team and the, and the people we, we, we were working with. Mm. Well thanks for summing up uh, ten and a half years into two <laughs> minutes I really appreciate it and that brings us to Unis Sports Hub. 
from what I understand, it's a leader in promoting social business in the sports sector. Talk to us a little bit more about what you're comfortable with sharing your decision-making process to, to make that transition over to Unisports Hub and what you're doing now. Sure. Um, I mean, I mean, like you said, uh, the last, the last probably three or four, maybe a bit longer, maybe it's about two, three years before, before the pandemic, um, we'd started to, to recognize that, um, at Oaks that, that kind of the services around strategic planning, fundraising that we'd been delivering in, in the UK were, were if not even more needed um like uh, globally so you know there's this huge network of, of sport for development organizations all over the world probably no one really understands actually how big that, that 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 network is and all of these organizations need exactly the same kind of support that they that, that hopefully we, we were providing in the uk um and that fundraising was it was a challenge kind of globally and um, so like you said we, we launched that that survey and that, those series of reports that that really um I think helped to put Oaks on the map in terms of actually that the support that we that was available to organisations and the, the the performance of fundraising globally, um, and then kind of got me thinking as well actually. And that there are so many organisations out there. Um, it'd be great one day to be able to to find a solution or or or, or support those organisations in in a different way. Um, in, in in terms of my decision making uh, process, it was more of a you know, I'd been I'd been at the organisation uh, for around ten. Well, it was it was over ten years when when I started to think, oh, um, is it is it time for for a change? Um, you know, you, you kind of become institutionalised after after ten years, and you you don't know any you don't know anything different at that at, at that point. Having <laughs> come straight out of university into mm-hmm. into that role and kind of grown with that role, it was just a it was the right time. I think it was it was the right time and the and the right role. Um, that came along at that that point and then the role at, at unit sports hub it was it was quite a lot to do with the um the kind of global aspect of it you know um our kind of our main partner at the um, unit sports hub is we do a lot of work with the international olympic committee we do a lot of work with the french development agency and um and we've just launched a partnership with the global esports federation um and to me, those kind of those kind of partners are, are the kind of partners you can't really attract at a, a consultancy, like a, a small consultancy like Oaks, because we're providing direct support to to organisations. Um, whereas the the work that we're doing with, with Unis is more programmatic. It's it's not it's not consultancy work. It's more a, it's part of something bigger. Um, you know, part of the the movement uh, of, the, of social businesses, the the, the fact that the, the belief that um, there is a better way to do, to do business than, um, you know, than just purely for profit. Um, so I, I like the idea of being part of something that's, that's uh, being part of something bigger. Um, you know, we, 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 again, I, we've joined a relatively small team. So yeah, we, I think we're around t- 10 full-time staff and, well, we have a kind of a global network and, and you know, thousands of other organizations that are part of the UNIS um, ecosystem. So you feel like you're what you still get the benefits of being in that kind of small team where you can, you know, dabble in lots of different things, learn lots of different skills, get direct exposure to, to so many different organizations and people. Um, but you get still that feeling that you're part of this bigger movement, this big, these, these other organizations, this, this multi billion dollar industry that sits alongside sport so you know we we, we are the really in the sports hub we focused on sport and social entrepreneurship um so and it's still working with a lot of the same 
kinds of people that I was working with at Oaks, like these really cool, interesting social entrepreneurs, athlete entrepreneurs who are dedicating their lives to using sport for, for good. Um, so it didn't, it didn't feel like too big of a, a step away. Nice. And I know you have shared with me a little bit more about the programming of Eunice, including the IOC Young Leaders Program, Athlete 365 Accelerator, and a few more, which are just super cool that you're the main client of the IOC. Like, that's massive. And uh, tell me, what are you most looking forward to or most excited about in the next year? In the next in the next year? Um, that's, a, that's, that's a big question. I, I think... Uh, in, in work, from a work perspective, I think I, I've been in the role two months now and starting to feel a bit more, a bit more settled in. Um, you know, re really feeling part part of the team, um, and we've got some really big things com coming up. So uh, I think you know, next week we've got the Global Social Business Summit, uh, which is like a gathering of all of the kind of units related organisations. Um, so it'd be really, really cool to to to, uh, to meet Professor Yunus himself as well. So so a really, really, really cool experience. In, in December, we are formally launching our partnership with uh, the uh, Global Esports Federation. So we've had a bit of a uh, soft launch in the, in the last month or so. But at the Global Esports Games in, in December, we are formally launching our partnership. And, and we are trying to effectively replicate the, the sport for development movement, but within the esports world. So, you know, how do we gather all of these really cool um, organizations interventions that are already taking place within the esports and gaming world and, and bring them together in a more structured way in the same way that you know within we have within the sport development sector so um yeah really really excited to see how, how that grows um and then we've got kind of big plans more more broadly next year to try and scale and, and grow our work um so obviously extending our partnerships with the with the with the organisations I've already mentioned, um, and 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 trying to work with other federations and associations in in that time. Um, so yeah, I think it's 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 obviously it's it's early days, but it's about trying to understand where I can add value to to the organisation I'm in now, um, and how how I can grow within within that role as well, and how we can bring other people into the team as as we grow spoken like a chief commercial officer who has been there for more than two months. I'm very impressed. So good, good answers, good insights there. As you said, you'll, you'll grow with the organization and help the organization grow as well, which is a really exciting place to be. And I know you really appreciate that challenge of building something in that business development side. So I'm excited for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, yeah. I think, I think you're the, the point you made just there around you know, building something. Um, I get that was a, a large part of my, my time with my colleagues at Oaks was about, yeah, build, we're building something here. We're, we're building something here. And, and I always want to feel part of something that's, that's growing, um, that is going, that's going somewhere that's, that's building. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's what I'm most excited about for sure. Quick break here with a special message from your host. This episode is being released in celebration of the United Nations recognized International Day of Sport for Development and Peace, which takes place annually on April 6th. Each year, champions of the sport for development sector use this day to raise awareness of the incredible work that individuals and organizations are leading across the globe to leverage the potential power of sport and play 
to drive tangible impact and positive social change. I hope that listeners, whether an enthusiast, a skeptic, or a novice in this space, that you find the conversations I facilitate on the Inspira podcast to be informative and inspirational. If you enjoy this podcast, you would be a rock star if you went ahead and gave it a five-star review with a complimentary written sentence or two on Apple Podcasts or your chosen podcast platform. Enjoy listening and happy April 6th, everybody. And I want to ask you for some industry insights because I recognize your deep background on the fundraising side. And then now with Unisports Hub, from what I understand, looking at and learning about developing new revenue streams for organizations, whether that's social business or social enterprise, are there any insights you can share with the audience about perhaps financial sustainability for sport for social impact initiatives and maybe anything you've seen or learned throughout your entire career on how to aim for that financial sustainability yeah that's a that's a, that's a good one it's a, it's, a, it's a tough one i think i think um because i don't think there is a there is a is a right answer or, or a single answer for for kind of all organizations in the in the sector, I think when we did the uh, the first study on on the fundraising in in, in sport for development um, in 2020, now I think it was, um, we were shocked at the kind of the the differences between sport for development organisations in different regions of the world, and how like, in certain regions, you know, being reliant on on uh, certain regions, but over reliant on on corporate partnerships. Others were more um, accustomed to donations from individuals. But, but the fact that overwhelmingly most of the sector was was singularly reliant on, on grants from trust and foundations wasn't in itself a surprise, but it was the, it was a difference between the the regions. I think um, I, I think what that kind of sh- showed us and 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 helped us to kind of uh, uh, solidify was that um, there is, yeah there is no single solution, but the importance of diversifying your revenues and trying different things is is um is, is is more significant and more important now than ever i think during the pandemic for example a lot of organizations lost out on on corporate income and corporate partnerships kind of disappeared the most reliable uh, income stream during that period was was trusted foundations um because obviously a lot of those foundations were sitting on um uh, yeah, they had their own they had funds that they that they were, had been sitting on for, for for several years. So in times of crisis, they they tend to be the most reliable um, income streams. But I think what it what it showed is that um, you you have to be flexible and agile in terms of the different um, fundraising avenues that you that you're exploring. Um, I mean, for for a long time, we 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 always I mean, lots of people have preached that things around you know more sustainable revenue streams like selling services selling products um are the ones to focus all t- all your time and energy on but actually if that was the case then during the pandemic uh, you would have really struggled if you'd put all your eggs in, in that basket and weren't looking at trusted foundations as, a, as an income source then you, you would you would have really struggled so i think there is there's no one single income stream where you should focus your time and energy on it's about um 
you don't want to try to, you don't want to try too many different things at once but it's about having as most as, as diverse a portfolio of, of revenue streams as, as, as possible um i still think you know grants are the most are obviously the the, the sector's most um dominant um, income stream but i still think there's a lot more that can be done in that space so there are these there are hundreds of thousands of trust foundations around the world who don't fund sport or historically haven't thought about sport as a, as a tool for good. Um, and we need to do a better job of convincing those foundations, those philanthropists that sport can have the, we need to show them that sport can have the impact that we, that we all see. Um, so I think grants sh should still remain a real um, important focus to organizations. Um, I think there is a lot more I think I think the sector of the sport development sector is way behind the rest of the international development sector in terms of some of the other in terms of fundraising practices more generally. Um, lots of you know lots of organisations when we talk about social enterprise and and selling products and services um, for for most organisations in the sector they haven't considered that or they've tried it in, in kind of in small ways and it didn't work so they so they gave up. Um, Donations from individuals are, are often um, kind of dis, uh, discounted as you know, it'll take too long, it'll take too much effort to, to build those kind of revenues. But then you see some, you know, you see some of the organisations in health sectors and education, um, who and there are a lot of sport organisations in those space in those spaces. But these these organisations are earning you know millions and millions and millions of, of pounds and dollars um, from these revenue streams. So I think I think it's about um, it's about being creative and, and agile in your in your fundraising approach, not relying too much on any one single income stream, and making sure that you're you're staying on top of all of the latest trends and, and opportunities. I think it's about not not putting all your eggs in one basket when in terms of some of these new trends that, that come out as well, like uh, um, you know crypto philanthropy and all, you know, all, all, all these kind of things. I think they should all be taken as you know, small parts of an overall. Um, fundraising strategy so you might be able to try something and, and see if it works and if it and if it doesn't then then try something else um and then and i think that if, and actually before you even set about fundraising there are some really core kind of organizational things that you need to have in place um in order to be successful i mean it's some really simple stuff right like having a a website that talks about what you do um and the impact and who you work with and the impact you're having and before you start approaching people is is, is often overlooked right like it's because mm -hmm. that's the first place that they're, they're going to look um it's making sure that your governance structure is right it's you know, it's, it's a lot of the boring stuff that that most people don't necessarily want want to spend their time doing but um all of it the, there are you know there are the series of factors and, and things that you need to have in place before you can be successful with some of these these fundraising areas and then and then i guess my last point would be around um being realistic, I think, around uh, both in terms of volume or I guess value of targets and timescales, because I think a bar maybe grants, um, which would still likely take you know between three to six months to hear a decision. There are no there are no quick wins. There are no you know there, there are no quick fads that you can go and suddenly secure a hundred <laughs> no millionaires out there that want to invest in sport for development. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I mean, there might be, but there's you know there's no way of knowing whether that something like that is going to pan out um so you're bet you're better off building gradually and, and 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 slowly than you are trying to chase you know 
100,000 pounds in a month, for example. Um, so, yeah, I think it's about being a bit, being realistic around what you can achieve and over what time scales, rather than thinking everything needs to happen now. You and I can probably agree that there's no one size fits all when it comes to uh, funding streams. And as you said, diversifying can can really set an organization up for more success than not diversifying. Are there any specific examples you can share? I know you've worked with loads of impressive organizations and businesses. Are there any that stand out to you on the sport for development side and the social business side in terms of an organization really doing something special? that works in their environment yeah um i, I mean I, I don't know how detailed i can get into but i think i mean two two organizations that really stand out to me in terms of like their their creativity um their their business model um and, and ultimately the work that they're doing i mean the first one is um skaterstan um who uh, i'm sure you you'll be <laughs> you'll be aware of um you know a skateboarding um NGO um, working in places like Afghanistan um, and some of the you know some of the most high risk um, areas of the world they have a really they're doing a really cool job of, of branding of marketing of you know merchandising licensing they've I think they've won an Oscar for one for a film about them like they've done they've they've really um, kind of define their role within the broader kind of skateboarding industry and brand um and as a result they're, they're they're reaping the benefits from a from an income generation point of view so they've you know they've launched collaborations with some really cool um brands and but these these are collaborations focused on sales of of merchandise and you know caps and skateboards or i'm not a skateboarder so i'm in dangerous territory here but you know <laughs> skateboard stuff um so they, they they're doing some really um, cool things there, um, and then another organisation who I've only recently come across is an organisation called Klabu, um, who build kind of clubhouses um, in refugee camps and other other areas and other and other um, communities like refugee camps around the world. And they again they they have a, they have a really cool business model where you know you see these Klabu shops popping up around the world now where they're selling. Um, you know, merchandise clothing they've got a really cool brand um and it's it's resonating with young people with people around the world and the 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 sales that they are the the money that they're generating through these sales are you know funding sport and physical activity and interventions in refugee camps around the world funding the build of some of these clubhouses um and they're kind of locally led in, in each of the communities that they're that they're in um, so I think from a from a social business point of view, organisations like like that, but you you increasingly see see more of this. Like uh, I was talking to an organisation earlier today where they're using recycled pl uh, plastic to make keychains, and they're selling those keychains to fund oh, the program cool. in, in in Kenya. So like some really cool initiatives like that from a, from a social business point of view. But th but then you see actually increasingly away away from social business, you see increasingly organisations um, in sport. Um, taking some of the more traditional fundraising um, activities that the, the rest of the charity sector has been doing so well and actually um, really generating significant income from that. So things like fundraising dinners and events that, that actually are quite basic to, you know, that they're not, they're not innovative fundraising approaches, but I think they are in the sport for development space because no one's really been doing them well. Mm -hmm. um, 
you hear actually in the, in the US probably organizations that have been doing it better uh, where they're generating you know million dollar plus from dinners and galas um but the rest of the sport development sector at least from what I've seen in, in the UK and, and around Europe they they haven't quite got to that yet um so actually in some cases it's there's it's some of these traditional activities that organizations are doing elsewhere that we should be bringing into the into the sector um, first before we try really innovative things as well thanks for those examples yeah those are really really interesting and i i always my ears perk up when i hear kind of the environmental ones right or around recycling or, or different yeah. forms of sustainability because i feel like those are so needed and they're starting to pop up or at least gain more awareness whether that's me reading about them or hearing about them or them existing so so thanks for those now, on a different note, still related to diversity, but moving away from diversity in social enterprise and in funding sustainability in the sector, I'd love to look at leadership in the sector. I'm thinking that sport for development and frankly, the development sector overall has received ample criticism for underrepresentation of leaders from diverse ethnic backgrounds. I know this topic is quite important to you. As you've shared with me, you are multiracial, being South Asian and white. Whatever you're comfortable speaking about. I'm really curious what your experiences have been with this topic or what your observations have been and what you hope to see moving forward in sport for development in terms of including and representing voices and people from diverse ethnic backgrounds. Yeah, so it's a, it's a it's a it's a tough topic. I think um, if I look if I go back over the last 10, 10, 11, 10, 11 years, um, I I I can probably count on one at least. So I'll talk for the UK actually. I can, I can probably count on one hand over that time um, the number of um, black and minority ethnic leaders that I've met within the sport development sector. So whether those are you know, club community organisations, um, you know, linked to football clubs or you know, independent sport development charities. Uh, there is there has been a massive um, gap in terms of um, you know ethnic minority leaders, um, particularly particularly in in the UK for for sure. I think that that also applies to to female leaders as well. Um, I, again, I, I don't think there are there there have been many in that time. I know, I, I know, it's it's. Was quite a broad brush statement and, and it's starting to shift uh, or at least it feels like overall I, mean, I haven't got the data but it feels like overall now we're in a better position than we were 10 or 11 years ago um and i think i think there's almost a there's been a culture i think it's a reflection of the rest of the sport industry right like i, I think there's a, in the sport for development world quite often people tr transition from the sport you know, elite sports sector into um sport for development so like you'll find that at least historically that people running club community organizations were players or they ran for the or they worked for the club and then they moved into roles within the development sector and there is already a massive um, diversity challenge within the sport industry and that therefore uh, translates to the sport for development sector um but then i think there's a real um there's still a in, within sport development, there are lots of lots of the major players in the industry, or I say major players, the lots of the the larger sport development charities in the in the in the industry around the world were founded 15 to 20 years ago by white males um, predominantly, um, and 
they're doing some incredible things um but that's just the way that that they were developed in in the first place and there's obviously a a shift more globally around in international development towards you know kind of being being in country led being led by the communities that, that you serve and i think where where possible where there are those organizations that were founded by um you know uh, people not from those communities and, and and don't have those lived experiences then there, there are still things you can do to obviously make sure that that kind of uh, beneficiary voice in country voice is um contributing towards the direction of the organization and the, the decision making i mean me, me personally I've, I've never come i've never experienced um kind of discrimination in in i've been fortunate that i haven't experienced kind of discrimination in in the in the workplace or in or in my roles um but i also haven't necessarily had the the role models to think oh i could be like that person because i just did they just didn't exist um and that, i mean that just might be just be in the obviously in this, the spaces that I've been working in, but it feels like we're in a better position than we were t- 10 years ago. Um, but it's still, there's still a, a long way to go. And there aren't that many, when you look around the sector, there aren't that many people from, from diverse ethnic backgrounds, at, at least in, in, at, at the in leadership positions or on, on board level roles. And, and actually on that topic around board level roles, I mean, I think I've served them three or four, maybe four boards now um and I'm pretty much every single one of them I'm one of maybe two people um, at most who of a board of like seven or eight uh, from a diverse ethnic background um so there's a there's a there's a it's definitely a long a long way to go um and I, I obviously I can't speak for different parts of the world but uh, that's just been, been my experience of it yeah it's just it seems more of a shame actually um and but then you see some really cool, and going back to examples like you see some really cool organizations like um kick for life um in lesotho where okay they were founded by uh white males but they've put almost the entire ownership direction leadership of that organization in the hands of local people um people with lived experience and i think that's you can't you can't change a founding story and actually some of these founding stories are are incredible stories but you can you can change like decision making processes and where the power lies for sure. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Raul. And I know it's something personal and takes some like vulnerability and also reflection just to identify that that is the reality and that is your lived experience. But it's a lot of people's lived experience of not seeing that representation. I'm wondering if you can now share more about your thoughts on the importance and the value in volunteering to be a board member for other organizations than the one that you work for. Yeah, I, I think for, for me, I was I was in a really fortunate um, position within, within Oaks where we kind of encouraged everyone to take on volunteer roles within the industry. Um, but most of most of which were in kind of voluntary board roles um because we felt that actually as a as a board member or a trustee or or and a panel member um you get a really wide overview of, of an organization and you almost feel like a consultant um so from a i was obviously we were, we were a consultancy so you, you get an exposure to lots of different areas of the of the organization you get into some really challenging conversations. Um, you start thinking a bit more about the strategic direction of, 
of an organization and and you get exposure to an organization that isn't, isn't your day job so it takes you out of that kind of um head it gives you the headspace to think oh if i was if i was leading this organization or in this organization day to day here are some things i think might be helpful or or, or, or um yeah valuable to that to that organization so i think i took my probably my first volunteer board role when i was like 24 must have been um so I know I was probably the youngest person on the board by about 35 years. Um, but, you know, that, that, that gave me a real kind of exposure to, oh, actually, this isn't the norm. Um, this is a slightly different environment. Um, it forces you, to, forces you to, to adapt and, and, and learn quickly and, and try and get your, like, try and make your mark and get your, your point across. Um, so I found every single one like a really valuable learning experience. Um, I think that from that, I mean, there's the, there's the value from a learning point of view. There's a the value from a, actually a contact and networking point of view. Like you, really, you end up meeting some really cool people, who who might not have a uh, immediate uh, kind of impact or, or or value from a from a, your career point of view. But maybe in five years or ten years, twenty years time, they you might end up working with that person, or you might you, know, you might need to to interact with that person in order to to make something happen so i think it gives it gives you that opportunity to to get in the room with some some cool people as well um and then i think crucially for particularly for, for young people which of which i'm no longer one um it's a route to to progressing your career and most importantly most boards now want that youth if if, if they're if they're good and um strong boards and they want that youth input they what they are looking for young people to give them a different perspective um fresh energy fresh ideas um diversity of, of thought and experience um that maybe wasn't the case again 10 15 years ago but certainly on the agenda now um so it represents a, re a real opportunity for the younger people as well Now that we know more about our guest's career journey, the rest of our conversation will allow us to have some fun and get to know our guest on a personal level through some rapid fire questions. We'll then start to wrap up with pointed questions focused on advice and how our listeners can transform interest into action. Enjoy the rest of the conversation. We know Man United's your team. Uh, why and convince me it should be my team? <laughs> uh, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, it's it's painful right now. It's been painful for a good few years. Um, but if you're uh, if you've got great memories of the '90s, then and the, in the early 2000s, then um, you got to have belief that, it, that that they'll be back. They'll be back. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Do you have a best sports memory? In the 2012 Olympics, I was a ticket seller during my summer, um, and I was happened to be inside the velodrome uh, when Chris Hoy won his got won, won a gold medal in cycling, um, and I just happened to sneak off my shift to to witness it. So, um, so yeah, for me, probably that. Oh, that's incredible. Do you have a guilty pleasure? A guilty pleasure. I mean, eat, my uh, my life is mostly about food, like nonstop. 
I mean, I, I don't know if that's a if that's guilty enough but yeah like uh i i holiday to go to, from from when i go on holiday i i just my whole holiday revolves around where am i eating next mm-hmm. um i, I yeah it, it's the center of my universe for sure what's your perfect food day perfect food day um i think it's an english breakfast because uh, i love it um some sort of italian a pizza for lunch and then some sort of street food dish for for dinner uh, from a from a food market or, or straight off the street like uh, it doesn't mm-hmm. i don't i don't want to go anywhere near a, a fine dining restaurant it's <laughs> got to be that down and dirty for sure what about music do you have a favorite musician favorite band i've got i've got a pretty eclectic uh music taste uh, at the moment i'd probably say I mean, both mine and my wife's favorite artist is, is dermot kennedy um we just booked to go and see him next year so uh, he's coming to Birmingham actually okay. so uh, I think he's been touring the states uh, this year but uh, he's coming nice. to Birmingham next year so Raul say um Eunice or Oaks or or one of your previous clients Laureus UEFA Magic Bus etc say they post a job what advice would you give to someone on how they can stand out when applying to one of those jobs in sport for development I, th- I think uh, yeah I mean for any of them it's about one obviously making sure that you understand you know what makes sport different to other um mechanisms for for engaging people and you know why it has this why it has this power to to improve people's lives that, that maybe other things um that why is it, why is it more effective than than, than other areas mm. um i think second one is just being really authentic um <laughs> and you know, being, being yourself not taking yourself too seriously um and you know, showcasing that you you really care about that organization and what it's trying to do. Um, I, I mean, I've interviewed hundred probably hundreds of people in the, over the last ten, 10 years, and you'd be surprised at the number of people who haven't done any research um, about you know what, what the role is or the organization is. Um, That's crazy. Which, I mean, which is just basics, right? Like, just make sure you've done your basics. Is yeah. Basically, yeah. Oof. Okay. Okay. Good, good tips. And what's one skill you recommend folks try to develop if they are embarking on a sport for development journey? Yeah. I don't know if if it's a skill or a trait, Mm -hmm. but like kind of being resourceful, I think, uh, you know, actually this is a set when you come into the sector, no one's got, no one's sitting there with kind of in massive teams with loads of resources and, and loads of funding behind them. Actually, you need to think creatively all the time. You need to be, you need to be able to, um, you need to be able to use your resources in a way that um, is creative and makes the money go further and your resources go further. Raul, what is one thing you hope listeners remember from our conversation today? Not take yourself too seriously. I think yeah, I think that's it. I think you're like it. Just just keep things simple. Um, enjoy the ride. How can our audience support you or your work moving forward? always happy to have a conversation with with people i think i mean professionally from from a unit sports point of view like if you're interested in in um partnering with uh, with unit sports hub um adopting kind of social business principles into your organization encouraging others to become social entrepreneurs then yeah of course then just drop, drop me a note or, or an email and, and just more broadly i think like if you're if you're interested in talking about sport for development then always open to and and fundraising and business Mm -hmm. development then i'm always open to to a conversation for sure my final question who or what inspires you 
I, I wouldn't say it's any one individual, I think, um, or, or, or thing. I think it's those people who literally give up you know, entire careers or lives to set up an, an organization that's purely nonprofit um, and is purely, you know, it's completely authentically about making a difference in, to one person or, or a group of people in a particular community around the world with no kind of commercial um kind of motive about it um and they've turned that something into into something really cool and it is growing and, it, and it's scaling so people like that thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the inspira podcast with erica mueller chen i really hope you enjoyed the episode and found it useful be sure to check out the show notes for links and resources. Specifically, my link tree is there with tons of awesome information. Feel inspired to take action today? I've got three action steps you can take right now because you know your girl likes calls to action and the number three. So here goes. Number one, sign up for my mailing list by adding your email address. Number two, Check out my global resource hub and send it to someone in the sector who may be interested. Number three, buy me a coffee. Or if you know me, this will actually be a hot cocoa. Your support will help make sure this passion project prospers. All of these links are available by visiting my link tree. Until next time, stay inspired. If you could,